you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hello. Hello again. It's another Monday. I have switched my um, live recordings from Sunday mornings to Monday because I decided that I like Sunday being a day off only on my terms. So it just becomes a day of me doing what I want to do. Okay. And we're going to do Monday through Friday work days. That's what, that's what we're doing now. So I am now recording on Mondays. She became visible. And as many of you know, we are a women led women only podcast and YouTube because my goal is to get more women's voices out there. And um, I am finding the most incredible women to interview and to have as guests. And today is no exception because today I have as my guest, Julia Sanders, and I found her on TikTok. And, And I have to tell you, as a feminist, this is probably not a very feminist thing to say, but what caught me first on her TikTok was her eyes. She has the most beautiful eyes. They are like doe eyes. They are so beautiful. And I was like mesmerized. I was like, oh, and then I started listening to her content. And it is so, it's almost like a Zen moment when you listen to her because all she's doing is getting out the facts. She's just talking some history here, folks. And she's just kind of showing things the way they were. She's not whitewashing. She's just stating the facts, ma'am. And many of you are probably too young to remember the dragnet quote, but just the facts, ma'am, is our title today. So let me bring on Julia and she can explain a little bit more about her TikTok and um, kind of her, her, um, her decision to be a very kind of kind sympathetic voice out there for just getting the word out. So let's bring Julia on. Hi. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I'm going to get rid of this uh, weirdo background. There we go. So <laughs> yes, how are you? I'm so good. <laughs> and you have had a typical mom crazy morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What time did you have to drop off kids at school? Um, well, I get her to school at eight. It's just one kid. So, so yeah, right, <laughs> got, her up, still, got her dressed, got her, got her ready. Yeah. Get her up, yeah. get her dressed, get her in the car. Do you have to sit in a carpool lane or? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. We sit there and she plays on her iPad and we just wait till it's time for her to go. <laughs> Gosh, that's insane. You know, my brother, I said this once before on one of my other podcasts, my brother uh, for a long time worked for Franklin Covey. 
And his degree is in organizational behavior. He's very organized, very OCD. And um, so when he worked for Franklin Covey, he would tell me about this, this program and how you prioritize your lists and how you, you know, put them down every day, the things you need to get done. And I'm like, yeah, you've never been a mom because those <laughs> lists just go right out the door. I mean, you can list yourself all you want to. The minute that baby throws up all over you, it's your list yeah. is shot, you know? So <laughs> it's like, tell me about the time you had to take your kids to school before you went to work. Idiot. Anyway, so yeah, it's crazy. So I found Julia on TikTok and tell me a little bit about how you landed on that controversial Chinese social media that's going to kill all of us. <laughs> um, so I left the church and we can go over that later, but I left the church in 2021. Okay. And then my brother was the one. So I was just, I just found out what TikTok was like. I'd I had it before it was called TikTok. I forgot what it was called. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. then I had, but I kept, was just a time waster. So I kept deleting it or I deleted it a couple of times. And then my brother said, Hey, there's a really good ex-Mormon community on TikTok. You should, you should get on and we can do this analyzing Mormonism thing. So he came up with the name, but he never did anything with it. Interesting. With like, he was, he just, it was just an idea. Yeah. And so he was like, you should, you should talk about church history on TikTok with that name. And so I was like, so just because I was still processing because I grew up in the church, served a mission, got married in the temple, BYU, Idaho, like all this stuff. And so as I'm just processing leaving the church and all the things, I was like having a TikTok could help me process things. So at the beginning, if you look at my early videos, they're all like a lot of them are questions or like things that I'm thinking about. And then it sort of moved to this like, like, I feel like I've kind of always been that way where I'm like researching like old documents from the church and just like trying to get at the roots of like, when was this actually, when did this story actually come about? What actually happened with Relief Society or like all these different things and then like sharing them on TikTok. And then like, I've noticed that that's, or for most of the platforms that I use, because I'm on Facebook and Instagram and stuff, I feel like TikTok is where it's at right now. Yeah, <laughs> so I agree. I get the most um, engagement or feedback from that. So yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. TikTok is a, to me, it's like the difference between a home movie and an MGM production. I mean, it's 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 threatening because it is the quality of programs that are on there uh, is it's like watching a small short. It's mm -hmm. the, the movie quality is amazing and it's yeah. very threatening for all of us newbies <laughs> out there. We're like, yeah, it was Coppola on this TikTok. I mean, this is amazing, you know, but um, so let's go back a little bit, because I, I one of the things that I love about some of the um ex-Mormons that are like you, where they're very, they're really trying to just help people deconstruct in a kind and peaceful way. Um, that one of the things that they do is talk about the fact that deconstructing is not just deciding, um, oh, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. Or um, it's, it is a, a complete life change. And, you know, when you talk about growing up in the church, serving a mission in Salt Lake. I mean, that's like, you know, Mecca. And, and then going to BYU, which is another little shelter bubble. And, and then, you know, so, and being married in the temple and not being married any longer. I mean, there's a whole process there. This isn't just a, I decided to go vegan one day. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a complete you might as well have had a blood transfusion and, and you, you know, you were O positive and now you're RH negative. I mean, it's a complete change, mm -hmm. physical change. 
So talk a little bit about that. So you grew up in Salt Lake area or around? No. Actually, I didn't grow up in Salt Lake. So I'm in Missouri. So I'm in the, oh, I'm in well, Zion. you might as well have been in Salt Lake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You, you were in the true <laughs> promised land where Abraham the, yes, and everybody lived. Real. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in Missouri. I did the typical um, primary. My, my parents we were raised us in the church. My mom is from converts in South Africa. And I got to meet the missionaries who taught her parents on my mission, which was interesting. Um, and then my dad, his family is all pioneer stock. Like we were there in Nauvoo with the saints and we crossed the plains. Like you can see our names in the um, little plaques there and stuff like that. So, but yeah, so raised in Missouri, went to church, went to seminary and then went to BYU, Idaho. I think I was the first kid to get my degree because I, Okay, and maybe I should say this. So I have a large family. We're, we're, uh, I'm one of eight kids. And then my parents divorced. And then my dad married a woman with five daughters. And so, and then they had one more. So there's 14 kids. So there's a lot of us and I'm near the top. I'm the fourth of the 14. So yeah, yeah. that's insane. Oh, that's a whole nother podcast. Let's talk about that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. (laughs) So, so fourth out of 14 and mm-hmm. a girl and financially you going to BYU, Idaho, uh, did you like say this is, I mean, how did that even happen? Cause I, I can imagine that you must've thought, okay, well, it's going to cost money. My dad has 14 kids yeah. to support. <laughs> uh, how am I going to pay for this? How did that even happen? So, um, that's a good question. So my, my family never pushed and I don't know if this is Mormonism specifically, but my family didn't ever really push education very much. Yeah. Like my mom didn't have her degree. So specifically for the women, but in general, none of us were pushed to get our degree. Like Mm -hmm. my dad went to a little bit of college, but he never got his degree. My mom never went to college anyway. So I was, I was like, this is something I really do want. I want a degree. So I went, I chose to go to BYU, Idaho because you know, it's a church school. And so I just took out loans and I took, and I had grants because I had so many siblings that I got some grants for that. And then just my dad's financial situation with all 14 of us, I was able to get a lot of it um, through um, scholarship. So, and stuff like oh that. So, God. so I just went into a lot of debt and got my bachelor's degree. <laughs> and so, but um, I love that because I yeah. think that's so important because you and I have, you know, and I'm from the Midwest as well. And I don't know whether it's because there was such a huge industrial area in the Midwest with a lot of, you know, people can make really good livings back in those days working for Caterpillar or mm-hmm. Western Electric, which is now AT&T, which is where my dad worked. Or, you know, my biological father sold cars, mm-hmm. supported a family being a car salesman. I mean, the, it, there was just a, a salesman industrial mentality um, then. And I, your parents are probably younger than my parents, but you know, there was also a, uh, I don't know, be, a, a, until World War II ended and you had the GI Bill, nobody went to college unless you were going to be a lawyer or a doctor. There was no yeah. reason you just went to work. So that's not unusual. And that's exactly how I was raised. But I didn't even know about like Pell Grants and any kind of grants or taking out a loan. I didn't, I have no mm-hmm. clue. So I love that you shared that just to give some other people, if there's anyone listening, especially a young 18 year old girl, that's like, I don't have any family support. I really want to go to college. It's like, well, there are ways mm-hmm. to do yeah. that. So that's amazing. Yeah. So you, you, uh, how did you get out to BYU, Idaho from Missouri? Well, so my cousins, um, we grew up next to my cousins. We were just neighbors mm-hmm. and that was just normal for us. Um, their kids all went to BYU, Idaho. And oh. so, so being so close to them, I was like, this is important and I need to go. And so that's how I got, that's how I, why I picked that college. And I, and I know that the classes are smaller because um, yeah. I homeschooled through high school because 
we just moved a lot through the divorce and it was just easier to homeschool. Um, but where was I going with that? That how, um, how you got there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. BYU Idaho is smaller, smaller schools. They're like 30 to 40 kids, but BYU Provo, I've never been, but like, I hear the classrooms are a lot bigger. They're yeah. like hundred something students. Right. And I wanted a personal relationship with my teachers because I wanted to do well in school. And so that's why I picked that one. And then, um, which is another ironic thing is that one of my roommates is now my girlfriend. Who am I oh my so, so that was funny. So, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Did you guys like keep in touch after you graduated and went on with your life? And then just, you were just continued a friendship. And then after you got divorced, you're like, hello, how are you? Um, yeah, it was, it was just basically like that. Um, so we kept in touch after um, like, yeah, we just kept in touch texting on and off. And then my daughter is obsessed with flowers and my girlfriend um, has a horticulture major. And so I would just message her and be like, Hey, what flower is this? And what flower is that? And so just every now and then, and then, um, I remember Jacob five in the book of Mormon, like asking her like what that means, like, like processing that through a horticulture oh. eyes, you know, and yeah. like what is root stocking and what is like, um, grafting and things like that. And so I just remember that conversation really well, but that was years ago. And then just coming out as gay and then like her also coming out and then like coming out of the church as well. And things just lined up really well. And, yeah. <laughs> I think that's so fascinating. So what was your degree? What was your major in, in at BYU for your undergraduate? So, so I have a degree in English literature and my, I minored in marriage and family relations. Cause like, what do you, what of do you need course. your degree for? Yeah. <laughs> so. Marriage and family relations, otherwise known in the old days as home economics. You know, <laughs> they had to change the name. That's yeah. so funny because I have a girlfriend that also majored in that. And and I think that was the, because what else are you going to use? You don't need to be anything else. You just, yeah, need to, yeah. yeah. if you're, you're just going to be a wife and a mom. So there's no sense yeah, in yeah. majoring in biology. What would you use that for? Right? <laughs> or, or like business. Like it, business. I got my degree. Yeah. I have my degree in English. So like, I love writing and, and I was just oh. told, oh, just get your degree whenever you enjoy. But like, that's not it didn't actually help me in the future to no. have this degree, but yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you might as well have, you know, gotten a degree in ancient French. Yeah, oh yeah, maybe <laughs> clothing or something. I know they always the fathers are all like, "What are you gonna do?" And you're like, "But I love it." Yeah. So interesting. So when your parents got divorced, did half the kids go with dad, and some of the kids stay with mom? Was there any of that? Um, so it was really messy. So my childhood is really messy that mm. way. Um, and I don't want, and I love my parents, so I don't want to yeah. um, be anyway. So my mom, um, didn't have, didn't, uh, keep custody of us. So my dad got all eight of us oh, and then gosh. married, the married, um, his wife, my stepmom with five girls. And then they had one of their own. So we were all just crammed in this one house for years. And then we eventually started moving out as the older ones, you know, yeah. got older. Yeah. So, yeah, so when pretty, you say pretty crazy, yeah. So when you say you're one of 14, it wasn't like seven of them lived with mom and seven of them lived with dad. No, no yeah, we were, were all, all, we were all there. Like, so yours, mine and ours, that old show. Yeah. Um, we, we watched that and um, just like we stuck, my parents stuck like a step kid with a biological kid. And then like they, that's how they paired us off, oh. which was interesting. So there's 10 girls. She only had five girls. So yeah. So there was four boys and four girls. Anyway, there's 10 girls and four boys in my family. And so it was, it was just, and we only had one bathroom for a long time until we got the other one up and running. So anyway, it was oh really, really crazy. <laughs> so I love to hear that though, because, you know, we at one point moved to uh, Northeast Portland, which is a, a, the older area of Portland. We have all these bungalow homes 
And, you know, most people had eight and nine kids back in the day when this house, this house was almost 100 years old that we had moved into. And we like to say one bathroom. People had eight and nine kids. So it's so funny to hear kids nowadays. They're like, oh, we only have three and a half bathrooms in our house. And I can't get my hair done. And, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, please. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. There's a, that's a lot of estrogen running around that it house. It is. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of drama. There was so much drama with all I these love, girls. I love that. I love that story. So after you, uh, did you meet your husband in at BYU then? No, actually, I, I made it through and I never really dated anyone which I guess is kind of telling because you know I later came out as gay but like yeah um no I never had any like serious relationships I guess like well no I, I, let me take it back so I did get engaged while I was out there but then we broke it off after after a short time and because it just wasn't right right um and then I came home and then um my grandma was like hey have you thought about serving a mission because you know what oh. else do you do yeah and so I was like no I haven't actually thought about that because you know you know, you're supposed to, my family, all the women in my family got married at like yeah. 19 or less. Like my aunt yeah. got married when she was two weeks into her 17th year. So oh. like, holy cow. But anyway, um, so I turned in my papers in the week before or a couple of days before they made the age change for in conference. Do you remember um, yeah. when they changed it to 19 year olds? So my sister and I actually served our missions at the same time, my younger sister. So that was really fun. And we helped each other like stay out because we kind of struggled on our missions. Yeah. And we're like, I want to go home, but like my sister's out. So like, I don't want to go oh, home. You know? encouraged each other. So yeah, it was very encouraging to have her out at the same time. Yeah. So. What, when you got your mission call, you opened up the paper and you saw Salt Lake. What was your reaction? <laughs> so hang on. So my, my grandparents, my, my grandpa's from England. My grandma's from South Africa. And so like, I was like, it's kind of around the world. And so I was like, please send me somewhere foreign. Yeah. But if you don't send me somewhere foreign, send me to Salt Lake. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So I actually wanted to go there, which is weird to say. But my dad served his mission in the Salt Lake City South mission. And oh. at the time, the men served for 18 months. Yeah. And so my call was the exact same as my dad's. Oh. So it was like 18 months, Salt Lake City South. And it was like really, I'm getting emotional talking about yeah. it. Really. Yeah. <laughs> it was really special to have that happen to right. me. So. Right. I actually really enjoy going to Salt Lake and we're up in Park City and Wyoming and stuff like that. So that's really fun. So, that's lovely. I love hearing that. My daughter served uh, the exact same mission. She went, was in Salt Lake and she had been at, at um, oh, she had been at um, Utah Valley for a while and then she went to Utah State for a while and then she went on her mission. So when she got her call to Salt Lake, she was like, seriously, <laughs> uh, really? Is this what we're doing here? And uh, <laughs> But she ended up loving it. And she worked with a lot. She was down in Cedar City for a while. So she worked oh, with nice. a lot of FL, you know, FR, FLDS and, you know, uh, people that wanted to leave. And she oh. also worked with a lot of refugees, which is oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah, because it's kind of following into this life where she's actually working with a lot of refugees right now um, in Texas. And so it's, she loved her mission. She said, I had, tell me if you had this, you would think going to Salt Lake, there'd be nobody to teach. She had tons of people to teach. Yes. Yes. They were everywhere. Like I think for them, I think the Mormons are becoming the minority in Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of work to do. So yeah, they're, they, I think I heard last 62% or something or LDS. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so that's interesting. Well, I'm glad that is, I love that, that you had that experience and that you still reflect on that mm -hmm. as a spiritual experience. And I mm -hmm. think that's also something that gets kind of, um, 
skewed in the ex-Mormon world is they think that we don't think that we have spiritual experiences yeah, or that we recognize the experiences that we had as a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that is because there's such, like you were saying in one of your things, there's such a black and white mentality where if it's not from the church, it's from Satan. And it's like, I don't think that was from Satan. That was really helped my family, but I'm not in the church, but that was very inspiring. And so you don't have to put away your spiritual experiences to deconstruct. Yeah, I agree. I think because the church tries to take your, to take possession or I don't know how to say it, to take, yeah. um, to take our spiritual experiences and say, this means this, like this yeah. means the church is true. Or this means this, whatever, but like it could just be just a spiritual experience in and of itself. It doesn't have to mean right. specific things. So, yeah, I love that you said that. It's almost like they co-op, they co-op your spiritual experiences and almost like with the Lamanites were like, Oh, <laughs> I know you think, you know, where you came from, but let me tell you, I know where you came from. <laughs> yes. You know, so even, you know, you think that was from God, but let me tell you, that's not from God, you know, so yeah, yeah they co-op all of your own personal mm -hmm you know, reflections and, and experiences that you have. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you said that. So you served a mission, mm -hmm. you loved your mission, mm -hmm, um, yeah. had a mission presidents, great experience, mission companions. Um, I kind of struggled in the mission companion area. Everything else was great. Like the work, you know, ebbed and flowed. Um, but uh, another spiritual experience I would say that I have is that I prayed and, um, God, I made a deal with God. I was like, however many times I can read the book of Mormon on my mission, can you help me baptize that many people? Oh my God. And so I read it 15 times oh my in the 18 months that I was gone. Yeah. And I helped baptize 15 people. And oh my God. Sorry, Vinny. <laughs> I haven't talked about this very much since leaving the church, but yeah. I love my mission and I loved teaching these people. And a lot of them I still keep in touch with. And some of them, um, it was a couple um, that we taught and uh, I, we still go out to Salt Lake and see them sometimes. And uh, they're not in the church anymore. And they see my TikTok and she was like, Hey, I recognize her voice. She's like, that sounds like Julia. <laughs> so she, she did looked it up and it was me. And so like, she, we got a hold of each other and we're like, Oh, we're out of the church. And like, she was just processing things too. So that was really fun to, to get a hold of her and her husband. So that, anyway, you know, so yeah. And I think Julia, I think the emotion that you're, that you're showing us is a, 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 a perfect example of the love the love that we had for our experiences as members of the church. It's not that we hated everybody, hate everything, hate the people, hate the, you know, dogma, you know, it, it isn't that that we loved who we were, what we were doing. We believed it. And in, in your case, and you'll have to tell us more, you know, as part of the, of our podcast today, it's more the um, it, the dogma. It is the dogma that comes down to not love and not not acceptance. And this is where people start going, but but wait, you know. So you came home from your mission. You had a lovely experience. Um, you met some fabulous people that are still part of your life. And so, when did you meet hubby? Well, um, hang on. Let me tell you about them coming home. So, like, yeah, my brother oh yeah. Yeah, just just really fast, just because I I do agree that that I love the church. The church served me really well. Yeah. So I wouldn't. So I might. I had a good experience in the church. Like right. Just good experience, and it was yeah. just learning later that it was like, like somebody said once, this could be the best lie ever told, or the best thing, the best. I don't know how he said it, but he was like, but it's still yeah. a lie. At the end of the day, it's still the best fairy tale ever told, but it's still a fairy yeah. tale. Yeah. Anyway, so like, 
coming home from my mission. I hate, I hated coming home. I wanted to stay out. And my little brother, he was like, are you crying because you want to be here or because you don't want to be here? And I was like, both, <laughs> like, oh. it was just so hard to, to go home, but yeah. yeah so, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to go on, go into the next part of the story, but well, I mean, when you said that you and your sister struggled with things and you, you mm -hmm. both encouraged, what were some of the things that you struggled with? Um, like there was a time I just struggled with depression on my mission. I dropped a lot of weight. And so that was really, really hard. Um, but then like companions and then like being out in Wyoming or out because the mission, we were three hours away from the mission home. Oh, yeah. And so that was just really hard. There's like nobody around. And so it's, so it was just really hard. And then like you're walking around or you're driving around and you're getting just the work itself is really grueling. You're like getting yeah. rejected all the time. And, but you have to like have your numbers up yeah. and like, it was just the whole mission is really like. I told one of my the sisters in my area, I was like, this is harder than getting my my bachelor's degree. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, if that's true, then then I'm excited to go back and get my degree because this is really, really hard. So, yeah. yeah. So but for some reason, like still the the good parts about it won out because because yeah. at the end, I didn't want to leave because I, I guess I'd gotten used to it. And I was back in the valley and serving right there in Salt Lake. So, Yeah. That, that's so important. Is, and, I, and I love that the message is I don't think people, especially with the use of social media that the missionaries are using now, they make it look like it's a freaking frat club. I mean, all these missionaries that are out <laughs> there and they're in their around. car and they're dancing around and they're with their guy. I mean, it looks like a bunch of freshmen at college yeah. and that they're all having a big dorm party. Um, but but what they what they're not showing, like you say, is the isolation, the grueling schedule the fact that you are 24 seven with somebody mm -hmm. and that would be hard for me. I like my alone time to not be able to escape, to be, to be um, just writing in your journal and have somebody over there going, I'd be like, yeah, you know, so just having somebody there 24 seven as well. If you got along, great, great. If you get somebody that doesn't fit you, that is that is a trial. <laughs> that would be mm -hmm. a trial. And not every, I mean, how many companions did you have in those 18 months? I, I, that's a really good question. Mm, Cause some of them I say kept through. Um, I don't know. 10. Yeah. yeah Cause it was like lot. 13 transfers, I think. Wow. And maybe not that many. I don't know. And that's, and that's change. I mean, the constant change mm -hmm. just depending on your personality. I mean, I think that people that I can't remember the book that I read, I love that uh, Apple Books keeps all your books so that you can go back and go, oh, I forgot I read that. Yeah. But there was a, a, a book that I read that talked about how religion in general is made for extroverts. And, oh, yeah. you, you know, the whole idea of getting on a plane and sitting next to a stranger and going, have you read the Book of Mormon? Would you like yeah. to know more? I mean, that I mean, when I get on a plane, I put on my headphones, I put on practically blinders so that they don't I don't look at anybody and have to talk. To <laughs> yeah. Anybody. Yeah. And. The rules on the mission are that if you see someone, you have to talk to them. Like, like hands down, no exceptions. You have to talk to them. If you see someone crossing the street, you have to talk to them. Like, like that was what my mission president pushed on us. So it's like, you, you can't be an extrovert or an introvert. You have to be, yeah. you have to be yeah. outspoken. So, yeah. And that yeah. just doesn't fit every personality type for, no, it doesn't, you know, so that's, that's a challenge. That's interesting. Yeah. And there's no, you don't really get a break on even on preparation day or P day you are getting your laundry done, you're getting your shopping done, you're getting your car washed, you're getting all these things, your letters written, and then you go right back to work. Right. So you, so you have like six hours to do those things. And then you go right back to the normal missionary schedule. So right. you don't really have a break. <laughs> and when you look at that, I mean, I've had so many people, I've had more people 
talk about how even Dan McClellan, if any of you follow Dan McClellan, even he talks about if it wasn't for his mission, his mission taught him to study, to organize, to, you know, set goals and all of these things. I've had so many people, even, even the gentleman, ah, oh, crud, we were at Thrive. He came, he talked, he's very, very wealthy. I can't remember. Anyway, he talked about now, even though he's left the church, his mission was so it set him up to be successful in business. So it's a great training ground for adulthood. Mm -hmm. It's also a great training ground for teaching, for indoctrinating people into you got one day on Saturday, you're going to wash your car, do your grocery shopping, mow your yard, um, take your kids to soccer, because that's it, folks. Sunday through Friday, the next week, you're giving it to us. Mm -hmm. Your time is our time. So you get used to that on your mission. And so it's like, yeah, that's what we do. We do everything on Saturday and the rest of the week is, you know, time, talent and in resources to the church. Yeah. <sighs> so, so you started to talk about, so you did, you had to come home. They wouldn't let you yeah, say, yeah. They wouldn't <laughs> you, let <me> say. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. had to come home. And then what happened? Um, so, um, I actually came home and then went right back to my mission. Cause my, one of my roommates was getting married. So, okay. so I went back to Salt Lake and then I came back home and then maybe a, maybe a couple days later, I met this man who, um, I was like, Oh, he seems cool. And then at um, church? we were, you met him at we church? were, we actually were at the temple. Um, so oh. I, so I integrated to the YSA war, which I'd never done before, except, you know, I was going to BYU White House. So there, everyone's single out there, <laughs> but, um, okay. So like, so two days after I got back from that second trip, I met this man at the temple and everyone was telling me like, oh, he's a really good guy. He's a really good guy. And then three weeks later we were engaged. So of course, yeah, you slacker. Yeah. So we didn't really know each other that well. Um, but that's what you're told in Mormonism that it's not a big deal. Yeah. And then three months later we got married in the temple. And then maybe a year later, we, we got pregnant with our daughter. Um, so yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, you are just on program. You are just yeah, following oh, yeah. rules. And you know, I remember, was it Spencer Kimball? I can't remember if it was Spencer Kimball that was like, you know, look, if you have, if you have the church in common, then you'll get along fine. It's almost like a, a yeah, exactly. arranged marriage, you know? Yeah. Any two people can make it work. Yeah. 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 And, it, and I suppose that's basically true. As long as you accept your roles as designated um, and you're happy with that. Yeah. So, you know, so you had your daughter, so now you're a stay at home mom. Well, so I was a nanny before. So I was a nanny um, for the two years before we had her, I guess it was two years that we were married. And then after I had her, I stayed home and did the whole stay at home mom thing. And then my husband was like, um, can you please go back to work? <laughs> and so I went back to work and I just took my daughter with me. I was a nanny again. And so she was just always with me and did that for another two years. And then I was like, and then I left my marriage and left uh, the church and got a different job. So, so you um, were married for about what, four years? Uh, we were married for six. Yeah. We six just, we years. just recently got divorced. Like it, oh, okay. it was a two year, it was almost a two year process of getting divorced. So okay. it took longer to do that than to get married. <laughs> and what would you say um, as you matured, because now you're also in your what, mid twenties um, at the time or right now? Well, at the time, I mean, when you're starting oh, to yeah. go, um, okay, you know, so I, okay. Were you over 25 when you started saying oh, this marriage is not working? Um, so I was 24 when I got married and so oh, I was, okay. I was probably, so when I turned 30, um, um, even on my birthday, it was a really, really hard day. And so I was like, brought up the word divorce to him and was like really, really struggling. Cause like, um, there just wasn't a connection there, which I feel like happens a lot when you're in a mixed orientation marriage. 
Um, oh, oh, so yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just anyway. So yeah, just when I was 30, um, started like, I don't think this is working, but like our brains aren't even done forming until we're 25 or whatever. And so exactly. Yeah, That's kind of what I was bringing up is that yeah. I, it's almost like a, there's a physical, it, it's almost like if you watch a, a, a science fiction movie and, and they'll do some of that great, you know, art, artistic tech stuff where the, the body is just going click, 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 you know, and uh -huh. it turns into some kind of a robot that looks like a human. You almost can feel your brain kind of going, and then you hit, like you say, 27, 28, and you start going, wait a minute, I don't want to do this. I know what I want to do, or I know who I want to be now because everything went, bloop, you know, mm -hmm. and so it's, so had you left the church then when you say a mixed orientation marriage, had you already left the church and he was still a true believing Mormon? No. So actually, um, let me see if I can like piece all this together. So, yeah. um, while we were married, so two things were happening. So my dad did this, was in this group called, we were the mound rovers. Um, we were in the, um, trying to, tr uh, a group of people who are trying to prove that the Book of Mormon took place in the United States. Oh, right, right. And so, so we were, we were with all these conferences with Wayne May and, um, Rod Malgerum and things like that. Like we were, my dad is a huge fan of, of all these individuals. Right. And he really, 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 really takes seriously the geography of the Book of Mormon. And so we got on this website and we were doing all these things together and we would go, we would go and travel the United States to see these mounds, to see yeah. these American Indian mounds. And they're really cool, but none of them, that kind of didn't make sense to me because it doesn't fit the timeline of the Book of Mormon. Mm. But I, so, so I wasn't doing, so I did a little bit of that research, but my research was like, oh, can I like talking about like chiasms or church history or like, like even like, I remember defending polygamy and defending the angel with a drawn sword. <laughs> like, wow. like, uh, so I was really in the church in that way. But at the same time, I started reading books um, like Todd Compton. No, not Todd Compton. <laughs> no, no. Um, his was later, but, um, uh, uh, D Todd Christopherson's mm. Tom, Tom Christopherson's, uh, book, the, uh, mm. that they may be one. Mm. So I was starting to read more LDS LGBTQ books. And mm. then I was in this mindset of becoming an ally, like in thinking that, that, uh, gay marriage should be accepted. And so I was in like, uh, immersing myself in all this literature, that's produced by the church, very, very um, faithful. Mm -hmm. And like just changing my mind on what I thought was correct from the prophets, I guess. Um, like questioning like the, all the doctors and people are saying this is healthy, that mm. it's, these are good people, good parents. This doesn't make sense to me because if God is all knowing, he would know that. Mm -hmm. So I was doing two things like, um, like a really strong hold of the Book of Mormon and really strongly holding this, this more progressive view, I guess. Right. Um, and then I got a hold of the book. Um, it was a book by Taylor Petrie called Tabernacles of Clay. I started mm -hmm. reading that one and I, that made me see like the church leaders are just making stuff up. <laughs> like they don't actually, they keep changing the doctrines and they're, and it's just, it just kind of changes with the time. So it was just right. very clear to me that the prophet is led by culture. Mm -hmm. um, and that was hard to handle. And then I got a hold of, hold of Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness. Mm -hmm. And was just like, Joseph did this thing that I think is horrible, mm -hmm. that I do not agree with. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Joseph was a prophet. Mm -hmm. And then so two of the things broke with me, the current prophet and then the uh, Joseph Smith. And so mm -hmm. I was like, I, and also, you know, um, coming to terms with the, like that I'm gay. And that's, I guess, a whole different story. But right. so all those things kind of crumbled together. And then I was like, I can't stay in this marriage and I can't stay in this church. Oh. And I, think it, I think it was more that I couldn't stay in the marriage 
And I think I left the church a little later in my head yeah. or like yeah. mentally leaving because I kept trying to make it work. Like right. I was even attending church after I moved out of the house. I was still trying to attend church, but, but you can't be gay and be in the church. They'll just excommunicate you. So that's what happened. <laughs> so, well that, and, and we're going to talk about that, but I love that you recognize that look, uh, regardless of what else is going on politically church, I'm not attracted to you. And it, it and, and maybe, and I don't even know if you had it, uh, you said, you know, maybe it was, no, I don't know that was your parents, but I don't, you know, I don't know if it was an amicable divorce or, or what, but you know, if you're not attracted to someone, if you don't look at someone and go, I love you, I'm going to kick you in the head right now. Cause you're making me so mad, but basically I love you. If there's nothing, nothing there, then that's a whole, you know, that's just, it is what it is. So that's what you're saying is that you, there was a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Like I don't even love you and I'm, I'm going to move on. And now you've got a daughter and mm -hmm. you've got a family that probably looks despairingly on that idea that you would get divorced. Mm -hmm. So that's a big move. That's a big move. Yeah. So, it was really, yeah. So it wasn't an amicable necessary. Like you're right. I don't like you either. Yeah, no, he, yeah. so what happened is he was like, you're so I came out first as bi because oh. I, and I think we need to give people um, room to figure out what they are. Yes, yes. And so like, and it's safer to come out as bisexual because you, because it's not like, oh, at least you can still like men. Exactly. But it's then, like, it's not you. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then, then I came to realize like, and I even wrote a novel, like, so I was going through this big ally phase and I was writing, trying to write a book about this woman joining the church, even though she's gay. So I'm like processing all of this. And like, I remember even interviewing um, Stephanie Larson from Encircle. Like mm -hmm. I called her up as an active member and was just like talking to her and like, like, I want to be like her and like have yeah. this house for these LGBTQ kids. Uh. Um, but yeah, so when I told my husband that I'm actually gay, he was like, no, you're not. And you need to go to, to counseling. Mm -hmm. And because when I was a child, I was sexually abused by some member in my family, my extended family. And so he's like, that's, what's causing you to feel like you're gay. Oh. And so you need to go to therapy and to do this EMDR stuff. And when I got to my therapist, she was like, I'm not here to make you straight. You are what you are, but we can process your abuse and we can just go through all that. So, so that's what we did. And after a while, she was like, after months of doing this, and we were also going to marriage counseling from our Bishop. He was, he recommended us and had us go to counseling. But um, my therapist was like, um, this is what you are. Like you, this has nothing to do you being gay doesn't have to do anything to do with you being sexually abused. So that was reassuring to me. And, um, they, he still didn't like that. And his family didn't like that. And it was really messy. Um, I don't know how much detail to go into, but no, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I can, you can totally understand that. I mean, that makes so much sense because first of all, he doesn't want it to be true. Right. Um, and so you're, you know, if you don't want something, you want to try to make it not happen or not be. Yeah. Um, so there, there was that. So, well, I am so proud of you, though, for for just saying, no, I am. This is who I am. And we're going to. So you yes. got divorced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and now you're in your 30. You're 30. You're such a young. Well, I'm a little older than 30. <laughs> I just no, but I mean, to, to have all of this stuff. I mean, you've gone through a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. most people have gone at 30. They've gone through high school. They went to college. They got a job. Ta-da. You know, you've yeah. lived a lot of life's and experienced a lot of stuff by the time you're 30. So let's talk a little bit about your, you know, starting out as an ally and then going on to um, 
like how you work that into your TikTok as far as like, look, this is who I am. I'm gay. Um, I have a, a, a girlfriend and um, we have chosen to leave the church so that we can be happy and live our lives. Talk a little bit about that because you mentioned that she was one of your roommates. Oh, yeah. And so talk a little bit about how you finally decided to live an authentic life. Um, my, my, I don't know if I'll answer the question um, precisely, but so she got married in the temple as well. And then while she was in, she started becoming or realizing that she was a feminist because women are not treated equally in the church. Right. And that's really obvious if you just look at it. And um, even just the aspect of what a woman does, like um, somebody had mentioned the other day, like you hit all the checkpoints, but once you get married and you have kids, then that's the end of your boxes. Like you just have to endure to the end for the rest of your life. Right. And that's not what, why would you want to do that? Like, um, like achieve goal points anyway. So she became a feminist and she was like, this isn't working for me. So she was still in her marriage, but out of the church, and then eventually did just leave her marriage because it wasn't it wasn't working with them either. Um, and then we she moved in with me and then my um, stake president found out because I I'm assuming my ex-husband told them, but they were like, you need to come in and be excommunicated. And <laughs> and uh, I was like, did I you don't come wanna... in for your uh, for your <laughs> guillotine appointment? At yeah, I was like, I was like, no, thank you. But here's all the reasons why I'm not in the church anymore. And and yeah. Uh, and so long. I, I was, I tried to be very polite and very informative on why I didn't think that that was, it just seems like a really barbaric thing to do is excommunicate somebody. Um, but then, yeah, but like, um, so I try not to be like super personal in my, in my TikToks cause I just want anyone to just come across it and just see like this information. There are a few videos that I talk about myself or that I talk about my partner, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I try to just keep it more like historical, but people, people will still slander me and say like, well, you're just gay and you're just trying to justify yourself and your lifestyle and things like that. Um, but like, but living studies show that when you are gay and celibate, you're really, really unhappy if you're in the church or like mm -hmm. just choose to be celibate. So I was like, I don't want that. And I was learning these things as an ally, as a member of the church, like actively in the church. Right. And so I, I just wanted the ha the most happiness for myself. And so that's why I chose to be authentic. That's why I came out. And then my girlfriend um, is out with me and like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. answers your question or not. No, like, perfectly, perfectly. Because I, I think it's so interesting that, like you said, every psychological study, my husband, we were watching, um, I think it was Sunday morning, the Sunday morning show. Uh, and they had a little snippet on men and how men have lost the ability to find friends and how important it is to have a friend. And, you know, all of this stuff about mental health, as far as having, even if it's something as simple as a coffee shop that you go to every morning and everybody recognizes you, knows your name, you feel like you're part of, you know, hey, Fred, how you doing? You sit down with, with John and the two of you have coffee every morning. That's even that will satisfy a psychological healthiness. And so, and then they talk about how, you know, percentage of people that will stay healthy are people that are married or with a partner. And they'll, they give you all these statistics and all this data on how being married, having a partner, living with someone, having a family, being in a community, blah, blah, blah. they give you all this data. And then the church comes out and says, oh, you can be gay if you want to, but you just have to live a lonely celibate life. 
It's like, yeah. nobody, nobody says that's healthy for any human. Yeah. It, it doesn't even work for puppies. I mean, they're like, get the puppy a puppy. You know, mm-hmm. they need companionship. They're pack animals. Mm-hmm. And so we can accept that for, for heterosexual people. We can't accept that for, you know, homosexual people because why, why, why yeah. can't you accept that? So it's, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And, and I, I can't even, I can't even imagine, you know, but I love the fact that what you did was you said, well, um, and, and I also find it absolutely fascinating that people think they can put two and two together and get four because they're like, oh, see, you're gay because you left the church <laughs> and because you, you know, didn't want to be married to that guy anymore or that you were sexually abused. These are the, re- and I'm thinking, well, I left the church and I'm not attracted to other women. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really fall into your little category or, you know, it's just like, this is who I am. And so you're, um, and I love the fact too, and I was, I was going to look at, I was going to look it up, but the quote, I love Gordon B. Hinckley and I know Gordon B. Hinckley was a fallible man, but for some reason I can excuse him and I can give him empathy. <laughs> He's like our grandpa. <laughs> he is. And you know, he, he always, whenever he spoke at conference, he always just built you up. He would say things like, it's all right, do your best, start over, we love you. <laughs> just, you know, very, like you say, very, I don't ever remember him being hateful, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but I look at the things that he did and I go, okay, I think you were scared. I think you were confused. I think you were, you knew what your position was. Um, I think you were following the the path that you kind of got yourself thrown like the into. tradition of our fathers. I think of that too. Like, or, yeah. like they could just be following tradition. Cause yeah. with, like with Ensign peak anyway, like having had that happen in the nineties yeah. and then like yeah. kept perpetuated for 20 years, like, I don't yeah. know. And I think if, again, if, you know, if you're, if you grew up in that whole indoctrination where, you know, there are some things that the, you know, a Joseph Smith quote, where there are some things it's in the happiness letter, some things that aren't accepted by the world are accepted by God. So, you know, maybe he was like, okay, maybe this is one of these God things where it's illegal and we're not supposed to do it, but God wants us to do it. So anyway, I give him a lot. I give him the only, he's the only prophet I give slack to, but you know, (laughs) but when he said the quote, that it is either true or it's not true. Joseph Smith was either a prophet or he wasn't a prophet. And to me, that's the, and I know that's black and white thinking, but there are certain things I feel um, like you were talking about. I think sexually abusing a child is wrong. There's no gray area. There is no gray area. There are certain things in life that are good and certain things that are bad. And so if you do the history, what were some of the first, um, things that you started on your TikTok. What were some of the historical facts that you started with? If you one, of, one of my first videos was the book of Abraham. Cause that's really confusing to me. Yeah. Like the, um, the church tries to say that the, I guess the, either the uh, catalyst theory, which I think is the only one that holds up mm-hmm. or the lost scrolls, because I don't think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Somebody measured it and they said, what we're missing is actually not very much. And um, so that, and also other things that would make it not work. And Joseph's directly tying the text of the book of Abraham to the facsimiles, which are, which are just funerary text stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so that was really confusing to me. Um, Just that whole thing. And then I'm trying to think of uh, some of my early ones were LGBTQ kind of things. Cause like, Mm -hmm. especially like when they teach Joseph F's, Joseph Fielding Smith, Uh, um, somebody where he taught that you are sexless 
if yeah. you are not in the celestial kingdom, which I was like, whoa, like how, like, how can you believe that? Like a gender is not eternal then? Cause you're saying that it, it is, but yeah. then you're teaching that it's not. Yeah. And then like, um, like being intersex is another thing is cause the, cause the church says you are male or female, but there's a, there's a large percentage or no, 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 a small percentage of people, but it's a large number of humans that are intersex. And so like they have um, male and female genitalia. And so it's mm -hmm. like, what it what are these people supposed to be like are they right like how does right. that work anyway so like it was just really confusing to me so because like church doctrine does not hold up with science it just no. they don't mix and so that's or like the earth being six thousand years old it's like no it's really not and like, like yeah you have to hold these certain things in order to believe the church is true like adam and eve um not actual people right um as far right. as evolution anyway so it's just yeah. Yeah. Just stuff like that. Yeah. And it's exactly what you say. It's the, the huge ping pong effect of one prophet says this, the next prophet goes, never mind. Yeah. You know, we're not doing that. We don't believe that anymore. And then the next prophet goes, Oh yes, we are. We like that one, you know? And, and so at what point, you know, you're watching this game and you're like, we do. Okay. We do. We don't. Okay. We don't. Okay. Now, <laughs> what are we doing now? Oh, okay. And you, and you're willing to sit there and, and live your whole life you know, doing this. And I remember, you know, it's, it, I think when Rebecca, Rebecca uh, Bibliotech and I were talking and I mentioned how I I've always been kind of just a believer, almost like you were saying, you grow up in a family, you have ham for Easter. I don't know. You don't even think about it. You just know that oh, ham's an Easter food and turkey's a Thanksgiving food or whatever, and you just do it. So I'm in the church and I'm just going, along, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, 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 good. It, and you're just kind of going along with everything. But then there would be things where you'd go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But I didn't think of it as a, I'm going against doctrine. I just thought that doesn't work for me. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not hurting mm -hmm. anybody. For example, um, because my husband is a very true believing Mormon and a very obedient rule follower. And so he said to me one day, um, when you go in for a temple recommend and they ask you if you wear your temple garments day and night, what do you tell them? And I go, I go, yeah. He goes, but you don't wear your garments at night. So how can you tell them that? I'm like, cause it's none of their business. And I said, and they, <laughs> and I said, and I believe that while I'm sleeping next to you in our bed, I'm probably not sinning or being tempted <laughs> or whatever thing that they think you're supposed to, you know? So I if that. I take my garments off at night, because I'm not, I'm not sleeping in five layers of clothing, um, th that I think I'm probably okay. And I didn't think, I never, ever thought, you know, I thought, oh, there's a reason for it, I guess. I don't know, but I don't care. I, I didn't care enough to think about it. And when I told my husband, I said, well, let me tell you why I don't wear my garments at night because I have six children and I'm getting up all night long with kids. And I said, and now that my boys are getting a little older, I don't feel comfortable coming out of our bedroom in my garments because that's what I used to sleep in. And so one day I decided I'm going to start wearing pajamas and I'm not wearing garments underneath my pajamas. That's it. There was mm -hmm. no master plan to have an affair or, you know, get some money from a company and steal it, embezzle money from a, no, there was none of that. It was like, it, I'm hot. I'm not wearing lots of clothing. The mm -hmm. So, yeah. so because of that, I didn't feel like it was a huge doctrine. It was like, this is a personal thing and I don't care about it, you know? So I think that's like, there's certain things in your life, even if you're going along and the church is serving you. I mean, it was a great place. I, I think my family's better 
that I dragged those six kids to church every Sunday. I think they're better people because I dragged them to church every Sunday. None of them are active, but you know, I actually have one daughter that's active and, and I have another daughter that is um, very, very Christ centered. You know? Is your husband still active? Oh yeah. Oh, oh man, has died in the wall. He is, you know, but Julia, he's a white male. <laughs> he's a white male, successful businessman. Yeah, the church is built for men like him. for him. Gave him reward after reward. So I get it. I get it. And it's like, look, you're a good man, whatever. And besides that, you go to church for a couple hours on Sunday, it gives me free time. So I'm good. (laughs) But there is just, there is that whole doctrine that you start going, "Mm, that doesn't even make sense. Or you just recoiled that whole thing and rewound it and spun it into something else. So at some point it does get down to historical data. Mm-hmm. And at some point to me, it's like, look, patriarchy is patriarchy. You can spin it however you want to. This is a patriarchal church. Women have zero authority in this church. Um, they hold no positions of power in the church. That's it. You know, it's like you can have, I just heard a quote yesterday and I've got to find it again. It's like, you can have your opinion and, and I can have my opinion. You can't have your facts. Oh it's, yeah. I love that. Know, yeah. It's like facts are facts yeah. and that's just the truth. So you can whine and complain and, and do all that stuff. But if you're sitting in the, uh, in the pew, writing out a check and giving it to this corporation, then you believe it, then you're supporting yeah. it. So that's kind of where I'm at. So I love that. And I also love like when you mentioned being excommunicated, I chose to resign my membership. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really interested in the people that go, you're not gonna, I'm not going to resign my membership. If I leave this church, you're going to kick me out. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm not giving you that power. I'm not allowing you the power to tell me if I can belong to this club or not. I took that power back and that's why I resigned my membership. So I love that you were like, yeah, I'm not going to be at that little meeting that you're having with your, you know, 15 white guys. Well, so I guess so, like I did have the mindset cause I could have resigned like, yeah. if, like I could have resigned, but like I love the church and I didn't yeah. want, and I think it's wrong. I think it is not healthy for some people and it is wrong and very wrong in some areas. Yeah. So I was like, I love this and I don't, I can't be the one that leaves it. So I have to have them kick me out. <laughs> so it was like helpful mentally. Yeah. Although everything else I was like, I'm going to, I'm not going to come. I'm going to keep that in my, that power in my hand. Right. And like other things where it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But like still allowing them. Yeah. They have to, they have to cut it. Cause it's, I can't do that. <laughs> so. I love that you're, that you are using the comparison though. Um, because it was your, it was your, the fact that you were gay that said, I love this church and I'm not leaving the church because I'm going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to help this church change. Was that what your mindset was? Um, When like staying or leaving? Yeah. When you, before you got the, the uh, guillotine threat, were you like, I'm going to stay in this church because I love it. It's been so much a part of my life and I, we can make this work. We can make this work. Is that, was that what your mindset was? No, well, and that's no, why you didn't resign or. I think I knew it wasn't going to work and I don't, mm. and I, and I still want the church to change. I still think it could. Right. Um, I think culture, I think the membership can change it, but I don't, I don't think I had that mindset. I think it was just like, I need you to do it. Like, um, like if oh. your child's dying, I kind of think of it as a death. 
Like yeah. a church is my loved one that's on life support and I need someone else to pull the plug because I can't do that. So, I love that analogy. Yeah. That's perfect. I love this so much. I can't be the one to pull the plug. Yeah. So like I need them to <sighs> cut me off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so sad. But that I love that truth though. Okay, that's sorry. amazing. That's amazing. So, so now where are you at now? So you've got your TikTok. Do you get feedback from your TikTok? Do you get like the, some of these people that the, that are, that I love to, I love Spencer on, on TikTok and he respond, he responds to the trolling that he gets on, on TikTok. Do you get a lot of negative feedback on your channel? Hang on. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. I yeah. can't hear you for some reason. Uh-oh. Um, let me see my settings. Um, do, do, do. I'll keep singing. I'll sing a little song. Okay. Got it. I was saying that, um, I yeah. love, I love, uh, some of the people on, um, TikTok. they respond to their, their feedback and it's amazing how much negative feedback a lot of people get on, on TikTok. Have you gotten mm -hmm. a lot of negative feedback? Oh yeah. Like people are really mean. And so like, I, um, a lot of it I take, so I read it and I'm, um, like I tell my girlfriend and I was like, this is really mean. And she's like, you need to stop. And it like hurts me like all day. Um, and she's like, you need to stop taking these comments in and you just need to like, let it go. Cause people, they don't even know like what they're saying or like, they'll say just really harsh things. And so like, I can't think of anything at the moment, but you'd mentioned earlier where you talked about my eyes. That's one of the most comments. That's one of the comments I get the most is like, I have big blue eyes. Um, people think I use a filter. And so like, uh, Anyways, I know that was kind of funny, but, That's so funny. but yeah, people can be really mean. And I think it's easier for people to be mean online because it's, they're hiding behind the screen or they're hiding behind a name yeah. and it's just easy for them to do that. So yeah. I try not to take it personally, but I usually do. Well, <laughs> so. I do. I think that's easier said than done when people say, oh, you got to get a tough skin. I'm like, yeah, but that, you know, and it's so funny because the ad hominem, that is a last resort to where you have out argued their 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 point you you've like already stepped on everything they tried to say and so last their last ditch effort is to start attacking you personally yeah and I, I remember I was I got into it with a lady that we used to go to church with um where we used to live and she was just you know you're so prideful and you're being led by the devil and blah 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 and I kept saying you know it's funny because the things you're saying to me are things I heard over the pulpit so you're just repeating <laughs> things that you've been trained to say yeah well what's your personal opinion you know and mm -hmm. then finally at the last minute she goes well, you might like your gray hair but not everybody likes your gray hair and I was like oh uh Oh, we're, go we're going there now. Is that where oh, we're going? Boy, and I yeah. was like, and block. I'm done yeah. with this. You know, I mean, it just gets ridiculous. It just gets yeah. ridiculous. One, one thing I do appreciate my favorite um, comments are when people are criticizing my research where they're like, oh. and like in a kind way, they're like, hey, I don't agree with this source you're using in this way or whatever. And they like, they're not talking about me at all or my art. Like they're just going to the argument and saying yeah. the reasons factually why. Right. And sometimes, like sometimes, well, I don't know how often, but like sometimes I can get things wrong. Yeah. But sometimes it makes me just de dive deeper. Yeah. Um, like for example, like somebody talked to me about the uh, the Nahum um, area in mm -hmm. um, Saudi Arabia or or uh, what is it called yeah. <laughs> in yeah, that area? Yeah. 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 Um. Anyway, so I, so it made me look deeper, and I was like, no, I really think I'm right on this, and like and like just presented it in a different way or in, in a more deeper way to just, just to just get my point across. So I do appreciate the comments that, that go for the sources and how I'm right. interpreting those sources. So, right. But yeah, the ad hominem, yeah, that's just, 
the low hanging fruit, I guess. And exactly. It's just, yeah. But I, I love the fact, and I think a lot of people, they don't, because they believe that anything that doesn't go along with a conference talk is anti-Mormon fake literature. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't understand. Like when I first started my deconstruction, I literally did not listen to any Mormon stories episodes that dealt with a personal reason why they left. You know, I, I, I didn't care if your dad was a bishop and he was never home and you felt neglected and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, those things were not what I was looking for. What I was looking for, and the, and the reason I was looking for this is the, the rock and a hat. That was my first, like, what, what? Yeah. And when I heard, and then I saw that the church accepted that. And I was like, I've been in the church for over 51 years. I raised children. We sang Book of Mormon stories. Um, you know, I have pictures on my wall of a quote from Joseph Smith. I I never knew this. So that was a historical truth. So that was the beginning of me doing historical truths. And like, and that's where I feel like you're at. It's like, look, you can tell, like, for example, like the Hans Mill story. All I ever heard was those poor people that suffered this, this traumatic, nobody's arguing that this was horrible. Children shot, women raped and, you know, everything. It was absolutely horrible. Nobody talks about the other side of the story. Why did this? Nobody's taking away that it was not called for, that it was over the top, that it was a horrific, you know, but let me hear the other side of the story of why these people attacked these Mormons at Hans Mill. That's what I'm looking for. Why did this happen? Tell me. And it, it goes back to the truth that's out there about our American history. It, you mm -hmm. know, talking about things that we're now finding out. You know, I had no, I was just this blind little dumb kid that went through school in middle America and learned that the pioneers came here for religious freedom and, and love the Indians. Ta-da. You know, that's as far, I didn't do any research on the indigenous population and the, you know, American Indian Act. I didn't know anything about the Trail of Tears. I didn't know anything about those things. And so that's, that's the historical truths I'm looking for. Um, and I'm willing to look at both sides. But when it comes to my money and my time, I want to know yeah. I'm in the right spot. Yeah. So what would you say, how often do you post a TikTok? Well, it's been less lately because my workload has been a little bit more because we're, my partner and I are trying to open up a company, a publishing company. Oh. So oh. it's been a little bit less. Um, so I try, um, try to do it. I try to do it every other day, but um, it's not been that. Um, every other day. Yeah. yeah. That's a ton, girlfriend. That's a lot of, there's your English major. Okay. There's your writing. There's your research yeah. every other day. Yeah. I, it doesn't always happen, but like through a conference, I was giving an update after every session because yeah. I went and watched it. Yeah. And so I was posting, you know, three to two or three times a day during that. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, that was fun. <laughs> did, you, did you see the meme? I love the meme. Someone put up a meme of like a comparison of active members of the church watching conference and they're all like, you know, and then <laughs> ex-Mormons watching conference and we're, we're sitting there with our, uh -huh. and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I watch conference more than I've ever watched conference. I, I, I was like, oh. 
I find it enjoyable now, whereas before I'm like trying to find meaning in things. And now it's just like, like, uh, like I don't really take notes. I maybe write down two sentences just for the purpose of resharing it. But like, I don't know, it's, it's nicer now and it goes faster, I think, as an ex-Mormon than it yeah. did as a Mormon. <laughs> it does. It really does. When people say nine hours or 10 hours of conference, I'm like, well, that went by fast. And I was yeah, like, yeah. excited. It's like, oh, yeah. Saturday morning. Oh, and I could get it. I could get it on my phone. Yeah. So I could listen to it while I was walking and stuff. <laughs> but I've always, and this is probably a male, female thing. I've always watched more conference than my husband ever did. He always yeah, I, I think that's true too, especially when they started um, streaming the priesthood session on. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was fascinating. Well, I love what, what do you think just to close out the show? What would you think, what's your main message and, and where, where you think your um, deconstruction is going or, or, and I know, and talk a little bit about how you have actually found a community um, and talk a little bit about that. Cause that's such an important part of the deconstruction. Um, sure. So, um, so I'm not, so I do attend a church um, right now. It's a small Christian church and it's very, um, it's LGBTQ affirming so that every morning or every, when they welcome us there, they say, you can be gay, you can be trans, you can be, you know, non-binary, whatever, and you're welcome. And they also say, you can believe in God some of the times, none of the times or all of the times and you're welcome. And the sermons are very much, I imagine if David Bakavoy got up because mm -hmm. he's a Bible scholar and if he were to teach the lessons, like not teaching things as fact, but teaching them as like they don't really teach that Jesus was resurrected. They think that, or they teach more like he, um, his, his, uh, his purpose of like, of like loving others. And, um, he, I was speaking truth to power and stuff like that. And how us living for his cause can help him live on, help him be resurrected in purpose or whatever. And so like, it's very, it's very secular and mm -hmm. I really, really like it. And, uh, it just it like, and also I can help my, my daughter to, to have more of an open mindset of, cause she does still attend church with her dad. And then, but now she also attends church with me. And so she's more open-minded and she's a little ally. So she's always um, talking about how, you know, we should love, love gay people, love black people, love everyone. And I really love that. And this just feels like a good, really comfortable place. Cause like our, our nation is, is mostly Christian. Mm -hmm. And so my thoughts are like, if, if I don't know where my, where my feelings are, as far as like the truthfulness of the Bible, I feel like I pretty well know that it's not like, I know it's not accurate. I don't know how I feel about Christ because I love his messages. I don't know how I feel about him being a deity mm -hmm. or the son of God. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, yeah. Um, I don't remember where I was going. But. No, that that's beautiful. Cause I, that's so rare to be able to find something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember um, my daughter at one point said, um, Oh, mom, you should look into the Baha'i religion because they're very accepting of, you know, so I looked into it and I went, no, they think that all of the prophets, you know, Muhammad, Buddha, all of the prophets, Jesus, that they were all prophets of God. And I'm like, no, that's also patriarchal. You're yeah. also looking at men who started organizations and, you know, and, and, but I'm, I'm with you. It's like, I grew up Methodist before my parents joined the church. I was Methodist. I've had pictures of Jesus in my bedroom since I was a child. I've prayed to Jesus my whole life. That's a hard thing to rip away. I still have pictures of Jesus in my home because I love the message. I love mm -hmm. the love. And so I want to look at it as a, a love truth and yeah. not, not, I don't believe in the um, atonement or, or resurrection or any of those things. But when you're teaching people to love one another, I'm good. 
I'm good with that as long as there's not. And I don't know. I'm not. I try to listen to as many biblical scholars as I can. And I haven't heard. I know that the disciples left family to 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 serve Jesus. Um, so I'm, I really have a hard time with men that left children and wives to suffer on their own so that they could go and do their thing. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. It's like, it's like Britt Hartley always says, it's like, oh, so you left your family for three months and went to India and learned how to meditate. Good for you. Yeah. You know? Uh, so it's like, there's no mom. There's very few moms that said, I'm out of here. Bye-bye. See you later, kids and husband yeah. and job and, you know, responsibility and how we can find, you know, as women, we can, we find spiritualism in everyday things that we do, taking care of a baby, mm -hmm. taking care of a toddler, wiping, wiping, you know, a bruised knee or, or combing our daughter's hair before we take him to school as a spiritual experience, you know, for women. And I love that. So I'm a little hesitant to follow a bunch of men, especially because most of them, and I don't see this in Jesus's case, but most of them, there is some kind of sexual predatory thing that falls into the whole you know, even in Buddhism, there's some kind of sexual uh, stuff that falls into it eventually at some point, sexual control, patriarchy kind of hidden behind. Yeah. Stuff. Like, uh, no, no, not going to work with that. Yeah. That's one thing I also, this church, we have a male and a female pastor and a lot of the churches, cause we went, my partner and I went and explored other religions and a lot of them, and we went to affirming ones and a lot of them, almost all of them had a female pastor, like a, like a female Bishop. And I thought that was really Interesting, because in our church, it was like, no, that's not that will never happen in the Mormon church. Yeah. And so, like, I just I didn't realize how common that was outside yeah. of the church. So, yeah, even in Judaism, you know, I mean, a lot of the some of the Hollywood stars, they'll talk about their female rabbi. And, and I know it's a different sect that the you know, Judaism is branched off into, mm -hmm. different, you know, just like Christianity has. But anyway, so, Julia, tell everybody where to find you. I want you to. Um, not, not yet, but I want everyone when this is over to stop and find her on her TikTok and listen to what she has to say. Uh, listen to her tone of voice, um, the kindness which with she shares this data, and um, I think there's a there's just room for everyone, and she's just one of those voices that when you listen to her TikTok, you're not angry. You're not like, yes, I'm going to go, you know, pillage. Um, but you have a deep understanding and a desire to learn more. So tell people how they can find you. Um, well, thank you for that comment. I, I really try to be kind. I want to be a, like a soft place to get information, I guess, because I, my family is still very active, a lot of my family. And so I do share these things on my own, like Facebook and stuff. And so like, I want them to not, I don't hate the church. Right. Um, so I don't want them to think that they can't listen to me because of this, but yeah, I have, um, I have a website, analyze Mormonism. I have a podcast with the same name. I'm on Instagram and YouTube, but I'm mostly I'm at TikTok. So, so I am other places, but, but yeah, um, TikTok's normally really the main place I post though. So. Okay. So just yeah. typing analyzing Mormons, Mormon. Yeah, it'll, I'll come up like analyzing Mormonism. My podcast Mormonism. will come up. The website will come up and like some okay. of my videos will come up. So it's just, just Google it, go Google it. And it's right there. So how dare you use the word Mormon? I can't, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so silly. Like, I know it's so silly. Another reason why I loved Gordon Hinckley because I love like, the it whole, doesn't matter. I know. I love the whole idea that he stood up six months later and went, Randy, we've had this talk. <laughs> We, we fought over this on Thursday in the temple. I already told you we're not doing this, like, but you insisted okay. on giving that talk. Wait, yeah. I told you not to. So I'm just going to smash you back down again. So yeah, and Joseph, 
And Joseph himself said it meant more good. And that's what he was quoting. So it's like, yeah. Well, like, and I love the fact that the church started out as what? The Church of Christ. Then it went to the Church of Latter-day Saints. And then it went to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then it went to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-slash-Day Saints. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The know, it was kind of like people, yeah. really. I mean, if the original guy couldn't even figure out what we're called, we're good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Randy's got a, he's got a plan, you know, he's gonna, you know, he's, he's gonna, Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Or Russell rather. Yeah. yeah. Russell's, Russell's got a plan. He's, he's stubborn enough. I'm going to live longer than Gordon Hinckley. Yeah. I'm going to build yeah. more temples than Gordon Hinckley. Oh. I am going to beat that you know, guy that embarrassed me. <laughs> Back in 1995, he's yeah. got a grudge. He's, he's he's living he's living his life through the the uh, encouragement of a grudge. I think, but I do like that he's moving to more like Christ based, like the logo and like yeah, yeah. I don't know, bringing Christ back into the name. Like it's I like where he's going, but we're kind of just making the church just a regular. Christian yeah, we're church. just going Methodist. I'm like I'm okay. so glad I can be Methodist again. I, I can't wait to see what else has <laughs> changed and go back yeah. to where it was. <laughs> 50 years ago but anyway so yeah. well you go on with your life you get go go back to work I know you've had a busy day and lots yeah. of stuff you have to do this this woman actually has a job um so, <laughs> anyway. so I appreciate sharing so much it was such a joy listening to you today and and I'm just going to continue to watch your um oh, thanks. Thanks. All, right. all right see you later bye, -bye. <laughs> oh my gosh is she not amazing she's just I, I, honestly, there's so many components to her. her. It's her voice, her tone, the data that she's, you know, revealing. There, I just really fell in love with her when I found her on TikTok. So TikTok. <laughs> Wait, that's what the Congress TikTok? No, TikTok. Um, so it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh go go to her page. It's you'll really enjoy it. So thank you all for joining me today, and we will see you again next week. Uh, for all of you uh, wonderful, let me grab this here, for all of you wonderful women, I just want you to remember that um, that we we all have stories to tell. We all have a purpose here in life. And the purpose of She Became Visible is to tell the stories of women who one day woke up and said, I am who I am. I have a right to be a person with a purpose here on earth. And I want you to see me. I'm here and I'm visible. And that is the purpose of She Became Visible. So find us on YouTube, find us under Mormon Discussions. Please like, subscribe, and share. That's the most important thing. So, all right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.